Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the True Alignment Podcast. I'm Ken Sagendorf. And I'm Edgar Papke. Welcome to True Alignment, a conversation about alignment and every aspect of alignment in your life, in business, in work, community, relationships, and, of course, alignment in self. We're on our way to double digits of podcasts here, Edgar, on the last day of January. Wow. All righty. Yeah, we're almost there. We're almost there. Mm. And? Well, we, how do we how do we celebrate? <laughs> well, I think we'll celebrate about uh, take, tackling a, a difficult topic today. Okay. You know, last time we talked about uh, leadership of aligned teams. Yes. And, and it's so deep of a of a topic, and so we really want to we want to we want to entrench ourselves a little bit more in the how today. Okay. So. You know, a, a leader needs to uh, think about their leadership at multiple levels. Agreed. Right? They need to think about it at the team level, mm-hmm. and they need to think about it at the individual level. Mm-hmm. So as a leader talks about it as the team level, we talked about that a little bit last week. And and we're going to come at this uh, idea that, uh, you know, we called this one team, team process is the practice. Yes. Because the conversation you and I were having, Mm-hmm. is that it's easy to consider kind of what to do as a leader. There's so much so much help written about do this, have open communicate. I mean, even we have these kind of characteristics, and it's a list of what. Right. But how we accomplish those things, that's the process of leadership, and that's the, that's the difficult part because you don't always see the – you don't see clearly the results of defining process. Yeah, I agree. And most of our tendencies, of course, is to observe performance through the lens of the, the, uh, the numbers and the data that we get in terms of key performance indicators, OKRs, et cetera. And as we talked about last week, it's really a matter of slowing that down and looking at it through the lens of being uh, an observer of the actual process of how people come together and engage one another. And how, the how is the richness of the human interaction. And when we think back to last week, we talked about different traits and characteristics. I'd like to just put this idea out there that much like culture, because there's the fallacy of of, uh, culture eating strategy for lunch. And um, I I think there's been over time probably a lessening of value in team building or team development and that could be because perhaps we just haven't aligned to culture well enough or we didn't understand it well enough. And I, I think it's important to recognize we, we can design teams. It's like picking the right people for the team, making sure that we have high-performing team members that are not just competent, but also have the interpersonal skill and team player skills that we're seeking. There's two categories we're talking about here, uh, you know, technical skill and competency, and then the interpersonal, including self-awareness of how they fit into your team. So I think it's really, really important to recognize here that if we look at it through the lens of process and we begin to look at that as part of the design of how a team achieves success, ah, that, that can be truly, truly powerful for any leader to, to be able to understand and, and apply. Yeah, you know, caught myself all back up. Edgar, I'm a big sports guy. Well, and you are big. You're taller than I am. Well, and I I'm love, six two. <laughs> I love the. I ha, I realize I roll out a bunch of sports analogies and movies 
and movies. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure out one going around here for, for this uh-huh. week's episode, but it is, um, this weekend I was offering a workshop and I realized that I was using some baseball analogies. Uh, and even my young students didn't understand the language I was using, uh, designated hitter, utility infielder. <laughs> and they didn't realize some of those references. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah it's not a followship of, of baseball with uh, younger uh, audiences than there used to be, that's for sure. Well, and it's funny because, you know, honestly, my favorite sport is basketball. Yeah. Um, but it's college basketball. I grew up in a big uh, college basketball town, and, uh, you know, the, I really love that model. Professional basketball I watch when we get to the finals, but if you're, if you're following anything around professional basketball, there's a real teaming question because one of the superstars, one of the biggest superstars of all time, is, is quite known for – you know, getting a large collection of other superstars on his team to try and win. And I, I, I'm going to stay away from mentioning names because it's not worth the controversy here. <laughs> but um, So who are you thinking about, Ken? <laughs> all right, it's LeBron James. We should just okay. say it. All right. But, you know, I think that this, this – I bring this topic up because we – as we look at the Los Angeles Lakers, uh-huh. they brought in Russell Westbrook. Okay. Another – Bonafide superstar. Right. It's not gelling. It's not working as a team. And, and you know, the NBA is oh, one of those. Okay. Well, I don't want to turn this into ESPN. Or, you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, so let's look at it through that lens. So here's one of my all-time favorite design questions. And, and by the way, this is a great question to pose to your team when they're struggling or something's just not right is a simple design question of what's missing. So in that, in that context, what's missing? It seems to me some understanding of how the individual fits into the team. Okay. And so when you look at it through that lens, if you were coaching and the person doesn't have that understanding, what would you, what would you uh, suggest or what approach would you take? Well, I think it's balancing the team and the individual uh, at the start mm-hmm. so that we can come back and revisit the team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we set some direction for that focus on results for the team. And then I, I think to start the team culture conversation, you have to start with that individual conversation. And, and there's a success story on the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Carmelo, right. Carmelo Anthony has come back, uh, you know, at the twilight of his career but realize the role. Yes, very much so, yeah. So I think you've hit on two things that are really important there, probably a third if you wanted to use, use it as an as a element of one of the two. Uh, what we talked about last week, which was culture. So to have a conversation with, the, with an individual on a team, especially if they're a superstar, to talk about, yeah, you're bringing all this capability, but there's a way of playing here and a way of integrating into the culture, and this is what it looks like here, which is, I think, important. I, uh, recalling Carmelo Anthony back when uh, he first came into the league, and I think it was the Denver Nuggets back then, yeah, and how individual uh, he, he appeared to everyone, and people would question whether he was a real team player or not. But I think to be a great team player, you need to understand the culture that you're coming into and you know how do we individually and collectively get success is what defines culture. That then defines what's appropriate or inappropriate behavior. So I, I think you hit on that one really well. And so having a conversation about 
team and systemically how does a team fit into an organization becomes really important. So I think that's a, uh, an element. And then the other one is this process piece, which is to look at it in terms of how someone fits into a system. What's our system of play? It's, of course, culture and system is a lot of what um, Phil Jackson was about, if you want to talk basketball. And you see this happening in organizations and in the workplace all the time. Leaders that are able to really articulate well a culture and be able to speak to how each person becomes a team player, regardless of what they're bringing with them, whether they're a novice, a beginner, or whether they're a well-seasoned performer, how do you fit into this? And then process, which is a way of looking at this in a very systems approach, is how do we do things? And that goes back to last week, the conversations around having a, uh, a well-articulated framework for problem-solving, for decision-making, uh, for <laughs> managing conflict. I mean, some, of the, some of the rules of engagement around conflict are what most inform members of the team of how they quote-unquote fit in and how they'll be successful in integrating into a team. So as we talk about that fitting in as, as part of the process of team development, a leader uh, works with an individual to talk about how they, how they make decisions in their role, the role of decision-making in their role, um, and I want to talk about problem solving, but first let's let's focus on the decision making. So, what's that conversation look like? What 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 are the nuts and bolts of a leader goes to an individual and says, you know, here are the here's the overall thing we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to decision making, it's to begin with the broader context of here here's how we make decisions as a team, and then to be able to be more specific. And it's a bit of a moving target. Yet consistency will help is here, here are the kinds of decisions we bring to the team. Um, here's how we actually problem-solve and approach different types of decisions. And then to be able to narrow it down and say, as you as an individual team player, based on what you're doing and, and uh, your realm of expertise, capability, um, to be able to have that conversation as an individual, here's what you have the quote-unquote authority to make decisions on and those that you need to check in with the team or those that you need to get input from the team. And that, in of itself, links right back to the team culture. So what is the preferred process or approach to decision-making that a team uses? I was working with a group last week using the concordance decision-making model. And concordance is a very powerful model and requires a high level of openness and practice of process to, uh, to, to get good at. Concordance is when we're looking for full agreement among team members. And what's so interesting and powerful about it is if someone disagrees with the direction that, that the team is taking, they're responsible and in hindsight accountable to, um, to speak up and voice their their disagreement, voice their concern. It's understood, and this is important, it's understood by the team that that is, in fact, a key element of the process, that when someone speaks up and has a concern, that means there's probably a problem that needs to be looked at. And so the process then becomes one of problem solving. So someone says, well, I'm uncomfortable with this decision, or I'm not sure, and it's their responsibility to then share with the group openly what their concern is and then the group is able to look at that and problem solve it now one of the things that's so interesting about concordance decision making is that 
it takes a while to get there. And there's a certain level of patience. But just like anything else, when, when a team begins to master the process after practicing it, what happens, it becomes more expedient. It's faster. Rather than hallway huddles and parking lot you know, conversations or offline conversations remotely, what happens is uh, there's a higher degree of trust in the openness of, of the team. That having that honesty and having that, that uh, ability to confront reality happens quickly. And there's less game playing. There's less posturing. So what happens is we step into the truth and go right at it, which actually speeds up the decision-making process. It helps us to understand where the nooks and crannies of concern and possible failure or disappointment are. And so the ability to work at that level. Concordance is uh, probably the highest degree of decision-making that a team can attain. And at the same time, if, if it's input that a leader gets from the team and a single person make a decision, that needs to be understood. If we allow you know, a small group, as I mentioned last week, that needs to be understood. And so having those kinds of conversations, especially with new members coming into the team, those are just, just really, really valuable to have. I can imagine it must be important when you have some leadership turnover as well. Yeah, and that's happening a lot in a lot of organizations, as we mentioned uh, last week as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a, well, we didn't talk about the turnover rate. It's certainly, you know, and there's a lot of people that are finding themselves in leadership positions because that's the way of advancing in their careers, yet it's not what they really want to be doing, that they're out of alignment when they're in those roles. Well, and you know, everybody will say when you come into a leadership role that you should do two things, right? You should do an extreme amount of listening and extreme amount of communication. Yeah. But it's, it's not the act of listening. It's the act of, of really hearing and understanding what's going on amongst your team. So you need that level of trust yeah. um, so that you can have the o- open and honesty. You know, I know in my organization, I often play, I, I so believe in triangulating your information. So, you know, I think you need a, you need a casual pop-in, a casual text, a casual phone call to say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Yeah. Just so you can hear how that person is experiencing their worlds. Well said. There's never enough time to, to do that kind of personal connection. Here's the poor movie reference of the week. Okay. So this is the this is the Italian job, right? The the modern version, uh, if you're a little bit older. The modern version of the Italian job with with Mark Wahlberg and Edward Norton Jr. and you know, that whole thing was there was a change in leadership and one of the team members didn't feel like they were given enough leeway to make personal decisions about the project. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he took it upon himself to undermine the entirety of the team, and that, that's where the movie starts. Yeah, But I think it, there's a parable in there about somebody didn't know that somebody on the team wasn't happy with the way the team was operating. Yeah, and that's what happens. And then the undermining, the coalition building, the dysfunction can set in. Hence the importance of, of the openness that goes with it. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about it, Norton, and boy, he never fails to, to, uh, to deliver a great actor. Uh, what I wanted to do was uh, touch on a couple of things you just said, some thoughts that, are, that came to mind. One is, uh, if you're a new leader coming into a group, the importance of listening, asking questions, inquiring, um, and how powerful that is. And how then 
we talk about trust in teams. And I think this is a really important lesson for all leaders to grab onto. Um, a lot of the models and uh, around teaming have trust at the as the foundation. And what we've discovered is that a definition of trust becomes a necessity. In other words, there needs to be a conversation about what trust is, which has a lot to do with also then the cultural context that you're in. So trust is evoked through mutual respect, which comes from listening, that I actually listen to you to try and understand you and understand your point of view, to really, really listen. Because if you're not going to listen to me, then you're really not going to know me or know how to treat me, which then will inhibit my openness towards you. And if something's not wor working, I'm not going to bother talking to you about it because I don't think you're going to listen in the first place. So why, sh why would I? Jim, you have a question coming in? Yeah, I think this actually just ties right in. Um, we just had a question come in that says, uh, how do I lead my team when the members of my team are more seasoned and more experienced than I am? As masters of their trade, they say they know everything about their work, but they don't see the bigger picture and how things come together. Wow. Thanks. Small little question, Edgar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me chime in and you can share with you what comes to mind for you. So I think it does, it, this, you're right, it, this fits. And that the first piece of it is, is listening, asking questions and listening. Of, and folks sure do admire them that ask them for advice. That's an old Mark Twainism there. Folks sure do admire them that ask them for advice. And so if they really believe that they're seasoned and have a lot of experience, they're, they're going to want that to be recognized. And it's going to fulfill their desire to feel competent and feel like they've been heard. So I think that's important. Uh, and then there's this other piece which speaks to the definition of trust. So one is you listen. The other definition of trust is you'll get the job done, that you'll be competent and you'll deliver. And so that needs to be part of the conversation because some teams, that's their main focus, while other teams, it's, it is being heard and being included. And then the third one is truthfulness, to be able to trust in the truth. I find it really powerful and, and it, it, at first, it seems really scary, but sometimes the reality of a new leader coming into a group to be able to say, I don't know, I'm new here, so I'm going to depend on you for success to a great deal, great extent, depending on the team members. And so rather than be an immediate leader, uh, use, use followership as a good opening way to lead, which is, again, that idea of I need to learn and I need to understand how the team functions and who you all are to be successful. Um, the psychological aspect of this is that a more experienced and seasoned team member will focus on those elements. Are you asking? Are you listening? Are you paying attention to my experience, my competency, my know-how? And how open and honest are you being when you don't know? Because most experienced team members will know when the leader doesn't know. They'll know it. They'll be able to see it and interpret it. So I think that's a, a, a big piece of that. What also comes to mind for me um, in talking uh, you know, more experienced team members and that they may know better is to, as much as possible, move the problem solving to them. Don't try and be the person that walks in the door and solves all the problems. Um, allow, allow the people around you to do what they're there for, which is to solve problems and, and answer the questions that, that show up. And as a leader, if you can return that, if you can return it back to them, right? So if, if 
you know, as a leader, if you listen enough, you get to figure out how the work has been done and hopefully some wisdom and insight into how the process can be improved to the benefit of the employee, right? It's not just about process change because, you know, change management is going to come into this conversation about, you know, leadership turnover and, and things like that. And I don't, I don't really want to wander there yet because that's a whole, we talked about change in an earlier podcast, but change management is a leadership uh, priority uh, for so many right now. I lost my train of thought here a little bit, but Edgar, you talk about this uh, listening uh-huh. and, uh, you know, integrity and the honesty and the trust of of listening and really doing something. This is one thing that I watch a lot of leaders. They know that they're supposed to practice listening, but they don't realize that explaining what they heard is part of that listening process. Yeah, and become building blocks. Yeah, very much so. Um, Here's what you said. Tell me more about that. Um, Here's one of the... uh, one of the aspects that can sometimes uh, occur is in a group of experts that a leader walks into is that they all see it very individualized as well. And so when you listen and you can build on that, it would sound much like, here's what you've just told me. I'm, I'm curious, how does that fit into the bigger picture? How, how does what you do influence the bigger picture? Um, how do you work with others on the team then as you create, create the outcome? So that you're using questions and inquiry as building blocks. And so when someone says, well, we meet every Monday around that, say more about those meetings on Monday. What do they look like? And so that, that inquiry piece, I think it's important to recognize that while curiosity is a natural trait, we know that you can learn to be more curious by just being conscious of how you listen and the kinds of questions that you ask. And first and foremost, to be able to listen at the level that we call fearless exploration, which is to be aware of yourself in the moment of what your triggers and what your fears are and be able to to embrace those and move beyond them. So if I'm afraid an expert's going to tell me something I don't know in front of a group of people, the best thing to do is probably say, hey, I'm probably asking you a question I I don't know and I'm going to really, um, I, I, I want to know from you what you think, because I really want to be able to use that and just confront that fear and step into it and always look at curiosity as being something that you can be conscious of and actually develop as a practice. And again, it's the process of listening we're talking about. So coming back to your opening remarks about practice and process and how important that is. I work with our students in our MBA program and we work with some clients in the community to help their businesses. And the one thing that I've had the most success with, and you, you know me, I think in pictures. So I love to draw kind of process maps. We do this, this mm-hmm. curious inquiry for a long time. And then we draw them a picture, which we provide back to them, this mirroring to say, is this how, did we hear you correctly in your description of how your processes work? Yeah. And, you know, we'll miss some things. Um, but nine times out of 10, what we get is that business leader goes, yes, that's how our process works now. And I can see that, you know, here's a place where we can work on the process. Yeah. 
that's really powerful. Here's why. Uh, the experience that I've had for, uh, for decades is very often asking a leader about their team process really stops them pretty much. It's just kind of, well, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, how do we actually solve problems? Uh, how do we innovate? And wh- what does that look like? Um, and be able to be able to lean into that. Yeah, very much so. I- including going back to just the idea of the establishing a clear process of how decisions are made. A leader says, "Well, I'm very participative. We have participative decision making on my team. Well, what is exactly does that look like?" And quite often it's that I get input and make decisions myself. Or, well, in the end, I make the decisions. I'm the team leader. Okay, well, is there clarity of that? Because if you're asking people for input and they don't see it being heard or used, they'll be disappointed and some really good ideas are going to go by the wayside because they're not going to be willing or be motivated to share those with you. That's not saying there's a right and wrong around the approach. It's the clarity and the expectation that people understand the process of how things happen. So, Edgar, thank you. Come back to this idea of defining trust. So the, the question we got uh, from our online audience was, uh, I think I'm, what I'm hearing is, how do I develop trust for those that might have more knowledge, specific knowledge than I do? And, you know, how do I develop their trust of me? Mm-hmm. And I think, how do I develop my trust of them? Right, because one of the important things you said in that conversation was that we have to trust them to do the things that make the business successful. Yeah. Going back to the Irish poet David White, the, the conversation is the relationship. So I, I've, I'm, I'm going to suggest something that sounds simple, yet it's not always easy to do. And that is to be able to sit down with people and have a conversation about your relationship to them including what trust looks like. Let's talk about our relationship and what's important to you. For, for us to have trust, what does that look like for you? So that if they are very competency-oriented and their definition of trust is getting the job done and you can do it right, that, that you have an understanding of that. If trust is about being honest and truthful, you can have that conversation. If it's about being heard and mutual respect, that's part of the conversation. In every relationship, you're going to always have three dimensions of trust in play. Mutual respect, you know, helping each other succeed through competency and, and truthfulness. They'll always be there. What's interesting is relationships will typically hinge on, the success of the relationship will usually hook into a hinge on one over the other two. And it's great to have those conversations and to also have that kind of a conversation with the team that says if we really want to have a foundation of trust, Let's talk about it. And what I suggest, would suggest is to look at those three and actually bring those to the team and say, here's three dimensions of trust. How do we use these in our, in our team, in our communication, the way that we work? You know, I think there's a double-edged sword there too because I think that the individual needs to think about trust for themselves too. And let me share a little antidote uh, just to try this on, Edgar. I don't know that you and I have ever had this conversation before, but... I realize in my last three leaders that I've worked for, I have shared with them what I believe I need in terms of trust from my boss. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really uh, 
I got put on the spot the very first time. So I had a leader that I had a lot of uh, personal conflict with. Um, I actually did not trust that leader. And uh, I got put on the spot. And when she asked me, you know, Ken, what do you need from your boss? And so quick toe thinking, remind me we were at dinner and I can set up the situation. We were in a booth and I swear her seat was about a foot higher than mine. Um, <laughs> that's what it felt like. And she said, you know, uh, what what's going to be a good boss in, in, in your opinion? And I said, well, I need, um, I need three things. I need a true peek under the hood. So I need to know when you're making organizational decisions mm -hmm. in a new direction, I need enough information behind the curtain so that we don't make mistakes out of alignment. It was really an alignment question. It is. Show me enough and trust me enough to share that information so that I can help the organization. Agreed. Uh, the second one was about uh, where I needed praise. Um, and, you know, recognition as part of this uh, leadership team building uh, conversation in the literature. Absolutely. Team and individual celebration. Yeah. And, and I know for, for, for me, uh, I'm always uncomfortable with the uh, public recognition, but I very much desire the private recognition. Mm -hmm. Right. So I said, I don't need, I don't need the, I don't need the public praise, but I need you as my direct supervisor to look and say, Hey, a good job for this. Right. And the third thing, <laughs> the third thing was the integrity and the honesty to give me a smackdown when I did something wrong. Right. And, and what I shared was in the moment, I am not going to like this, but I will go home and I will roll it over again and again and again and realize that you're right. And I'll come back and have an apology. Um, and I'll be better at my job because of it. Yeah. But I realize, go ahead. I, I realize in all three of those requests from my boss uh -huh. that it is an extreme amount of trustful relationship. Yeah. It's really, really powerful also to see it through the lens of the three dimensions, the story you just told, which also then gives you insight into the individual. So if you listen carefully, first and foremost, the question itself is, so what do you expect from me? You know, that's really the, the peak there was, what do you expect from your boss? The, the more authentic question would, be, would have been in our relationship, what, what do you expect from me? And, and I think asking the question more directly is, is always helpful. I also, in your, in your uh, story, you can hear the three dimensions of trust show up. One is I'd like you to include me, share information with me. Don't, uh, uh, you know, the fear of not being heard is the fear of exclusion and uh, not being in on things. And then the second one is, um, you know, the feedback, you know, and, and how do I get feedback and recognition and how it happens is important. A lot of times leaders misstep because they think they know what recognition looks like for the team or individual, only to find out that's not, something of importance or value or how someone wants to be uh, praised and, and recognized. So there's that relationship piece. And also with that, the success piece. So show, show me a path to success and how it is that I'm going to actually be acknowledged for success. And that needs to happen individually and collectively at the team level as well. And then the third one is the openness. 
I, what you're simply doing is asking for that third dimension of trust to come into play, which is be open and honest and, and give me feedback. Even if it's difficult, I want to hear it. And even if I may not receive it immediately in a way that, you know, <laughs> that I ought to be, I, I'll come around to that. Trust in that. So they're all statements of trust in one shape, form, or another. And it's really powerful. And if you look at it, what are the things that you'll discover as a leader, if you listen carefully to the, to the responses to the question of what do you need from me, usually you'll find a thread as to what the predominant form of trust may be, whether it's uh, being heard and being included or being competent or that trust in the honesty and truth. All, again, all three play. Typically what we do is we find a preference for one of the three. That's also why people on a team will think strategically differently without even knowing it. They'll advocate their points of view based on their natural um, their natural wants and desires. So the practice of the leader to get into this process of building yeah. teams, mm-hmm. right? That, and that's why this is called team, team process is the practice. Uh, you know, we have a tool. True Alignment has a tool that they use. Yeah. Yeah, team uh, a team alignment assessment, and uh, yeah, we'll make that available. If uh, you can either email us at uh, info at truealignment dot com, uh, we'll put a link on the homepage of True Alignment as well as uh, we'll add it to the notes of this podcast so that you can download and make use of it. We'll 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 post it as a PDF. Okay, yeah, and if yeah. you want some help working through the the use of that tool or the results of using that tool, um, we're here. Yeah, as always, questions, thoughts, comments are always welcome. You can uh, email those to us and connect with us and get get your questions to us. Um, yeah, I, I, and I, there's something else that was kicking around in the back of my mind, and that is that these are the kind of conversations to also have as a team. So when you start thinking about team alignment and assessment of the team, uh, team reward and how things happen, I think having a conversation about trust within the team itself as a whole is also important. Um, a, a way of coming at that, interestingly enough, is if you look at DISCs or you know personality profile indexes, etc., you can look at those as, as a f- facet design model and uncover through personality typing and associate, you can connect those to the different dimensions, dimensions of trust. Typically, people that are more age, you know, driver uh, type personality types as leaders, they're more concerned about competency and trust and you'll get the job done right. Servant leaders that want to be of service by um, helping, nurturing, developing others and enjoy the, uh, the affectionate element of relationships, they're more apt to see trust as being truthfulness. And then a more participative leader um, or a more collaborative leader, by definition, would show up as trust is being uh, a part of and feeling included and being heard. So you can see those different threads show up. So personality profiles and team composites can be a a valuable tool if you're looking for something more data-driven to rely on. Those are wonderful tools, and you can easily just um, pull out of those uh, the conversation of trust at an individual and collective level. Help start the process. Upstart the process exactly. Articulation, uh, you know, having a shared terminology, um, having a shared framework of what we talk and think about is one of the most valuable assets you'll build. And and of course, they're always part of the process. Yeah, I've always found it allows an opportunity to for people to describe 
who they think they are. Yes. Instead of uh, who you perceive them to be. Mm-hmm. I know I get this. I get this one a lot. If we bring in the Myers Briggs and uh, you were in a meeting where I threw this out to some of my colleagues because um, you know I, I I describe myself as an introvert. I have to spend a lot of mental time. But I get I get a lot of PR style roles where I have to be out in front and do a lot of public speaking, so mm-hmm. automatically get labeled as an extrovert. Yes. Mm-hmm. And well, I think that that disconnect between how I perceive myself and how others perceive me is part of the work that is important to help me be part of the team. Yeah, some of the work going all the way back thirty years, uh, my experience of uh, training through FIRO theory. Was uh, we do did a lot of work and a lot of focus on how to facilitate that process uh, in a team of uh, being able to express who you are and then hearing feedback and seeing how aligned people's per- perception of your behavior is to what you actually want or need, and where very often our behavior doesn't appear to be aligned to others or can be misleading in some way. It's really powerful. It's another piece in coaching that we use with teams is that each person gets feedback from other members of the team, uh, and it's a team-building process, and it has two elements. The first one is answering the question, what would you like to see me continue and do more of? And the other one is, what would you like to see me change or begin doing? So Two very simple questions, yet very powerful. So much so, Edgar. And you know, I think that that is a wonderful, we're going to have two guests here coming up. We're going to have Jack Russell, the author of um, Mr. Fox. Mr. Fox World. Fox World, mm-hmm. right? Uh, 500 miles of walking yeah. and talking with a... Having talked to him, I think of him as Mr. Fox, but it's Fox World. 500 miles, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, with an old fox, yeah. right? Uh-huh. So so journey on some uh, oh, awareness, self-discovery. Yeah, an alignment journey. An alignment yeah. journey. Yeah. And then we're going to have... Uh, Tim Story, yeah, uh, a very uh, famous uh, motivational life. speaker, life coach, spiritual advisor. Spiritual advisor. Yeah. He's got a new book out. Yeah, he does. Um, miracle, miracle, miracle mentality. Miracle, the miracle mentality. Yeah, and so they're really going to describe some of these uh, personal opportunities. To, to fit into the construct yeah, uh, of a team, of an organization, mm-hmm. which is, it's important as we think about teaming, because individuals make up a team, as, we, as we've mentioned throughout today's podcast. Right. And, and the idea that um, right now in, in society, organizations are changing because they have to. Mm-hmm. Right. I know our industry here in higher ed is such a, such a one that is struggling so hard to hang on to something. <laughs> Very true. And and needing to to mm-hmm. adapt and adjust. And no one inside the organization, outside the organization, is quite clear on the adaptation that's necessary for success. Um, but it's a difficult, difficult conversation in some of our organizations to figure out what change looks like. Yeah. And yet you and I are working with other organizations that are quite clear on change. Yes. And, and developing those team process, the decision-making, the problem-solving processes, and yeah, we're seeing the, design, the success there. Design processes to solve problems, yeah. They all, they all seem to have those particular elements or characteristics in common. I think there's also a mindset piece here, um, which is that the 
adapting to change, um, that's typically surviving the change. Uh, creating the change, that, that's a different approach. So we, we, uh, we adapt to change to survive, and we create change to succeed. Yeah, that's an interesting one that hits very uh, close to home for me personally because I, uh, I want to create. Uh, and we've talked about that as a as a personal. Yeah, and you know, we there's also this this conversation about who the creatives are. You know, I would suggest every human being is a creative in one shape, form, or another. Every every single human being, because we create changes in our lives and make decisions and choices in our lives day after day. I think it's important to see ourselves that way, and we create solutions to problems in our lives continuously. I think we all have a creative aspect to us. I, I think it's how it is that we acknowledge it and how we use it. And uh, to, for leading change, I think the, the idea isn't that we ask our teams or the people around us to adapt to the change taking on the, in the world. I think what we do is we ask them to create change in the world and find our path to success through that. You know, I always think one is about survival. One is about creating something new. And I just heard you, you talk about leadership as opposed to leading a collection of adapters to uh, leading a collection of creators. Yes. Yeah. And then coming back to the idea that every human being is a creator in one shape, form or another. Yeah. Thanks for the fun today, Edgar. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I'd like to remind everyone that uh, when we're live to go ahead and drop us a note uh, again, right on the uh, podcast, you can chime in and, uh, your questions, thoughts, comments are always welcome, as well as following the podcast or at any time. Go ahead and send us a note. We'll respond as quickly as we can and and uh, in a way that we hope is helpful to you. And uh, keep in mind that uh, we do provide uh, our executive education programs here at Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver and online as well as some in, in person that we hope will be coming back to. Uh, once we overcome or move on beyond the pandemic. And that's hoping that you're all healthy and that you're all doing well out there. And thank you for joining us. And we look forward to you joining us again on the True Alignment Podcast. This is Edgar Papke. And this is Ken Sagendor. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>